It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Emily Campagno, and this is the Fox True Crime Podcast. Tragedy struck Claremont County, Ohio on June 15th, when 32-year-old Chad Dorman allegedly carried out the merciless killings of his three sons. Police say the killing spree began when Dorman shot and killed four-year-old Hunter Dorman inside his own home. When his older brother Clayton attempted to run away, Dorman allegedly hunted down the seven-year-old boy and dragged him back to the house, killing him at close range. Three-year-old Chase was being held in his mother's arms, only to be ripped away and shot by Dorman. The boy's mother was also wounded in the assault. Dorman was indicted and pleaded not guilty to the 21 counts against him, including charges of aggravated murder, kidnapping, and felonious assault. Prosecutors in the case are currently seeking the death penalty for Dorman, the first case of its kind in 30 years in Claremont County. Joining me today to discuss the case and its impact on the Claremont County community is Jessica Schmidt, Fox 19 anchor and the host of Cincinnati's Crime Vault podcast. Jessica, thank you so much for joining me today. Can you help describe how the events of these horrific murders unfolded? This happened on June 15th in the middle of the afternoon. So it was still daylight in Claremont County and prosecutors, deputies are telling us that 32 year old Chad Dorman had apparently been planning for months to execute and kill his three sons. The boys are ages three, four and seven years old. And deputies described it that he grabbed his rifle and went after one of his sons first. He decided to go after the four-year-old child first, shot him twice in the head, then went to the oldest of his three sons, the seven-year-old, who prosecutors say was gunned down from behind. He was actually trying to run away because the four-year-old had been shot inside the house. You can kind of picture this unfolding. The four-year-old is inside, is shot. The seven-year-old sees this, attempts to run outside to get away and Dorman, according to deputies, chases this little boy outside, shoots him from behind, then goes up to his oldest son, who had fallen to the ground, and executes him. Then he goes to the three-year-old son, who is in his mother's arms, and rips the child from his mother's arms and puts a bullet in his head. The mother is also then shot in the hand, so she did survive. And there was a stepsister as well, Emily, who survived as well and was not hurt as all of this was unfolding. But it happened in a matter of minutes, yet we're learning that, according to these prosecutors, he had been thinking about doing this for quite some time. I mean, it's unfathomable um, to know about this situation, to hear about these murders, the cold-blooded execution style. Um, And this was a father. This was their father. And to your point about the planning, it's just devastating. How were the authorities notified about these murders? So from what we've gathered, essentially the stepsister, we believe, obviously saw this happening and started running to try to get help. She was yelling, oh my gosh, my dad is shooting my whole family or something along those lines. And obviously people in the neighborhood 
saw this and started to call 911 as well. Two of those 911 calls were released that do match this story that essentially she was trying to run and get help and, and reaching out. We do know as well that the boy's mother did also call 911. We have not heard that call, but we know that it's been described that she was screaming that her babies had been shot and that, of course, she needed help right away. So between the mom and the boy's sister, it seems both of them were trying to get help as quickly as possible. Oh, gosh. And it's my understanding that a neighbor tried to say, you know, get in the car, let me help you. And she said, I, I can't, I have to save my family. It, it seems like the details as they continue to come out, you think there's no way that this could get worse, but then prosecutors tell us another piece of this and it just shatters your heart. Just knowing what these boys, this family has gone through, it's devastating. Who is Chad Dorman? Had he been convicted of any prior crimes at all? So not really. We know that there was some sort of a domestic violence charge about, I want to say about 10 years before this happened. But as far as we know, that didn't really go anywhere. He doesn't have much of a criminal history. I mean, maybe the occasional traffic charges that many people have, but he was not known to be a violent person, at least not to law enforcement officials. Now, we've heard neighbors say that he seemed angry sometimes, but hearing someone is angry certainly doesn't indicate that something like this could happen at some point in time. So as far as a criminal history, there really isn't much there. So, okay, what about the charges that he's facing now then? What, what can you help explain those? Right, so he has been indicted on 21 different counts. We know nine of those are aggravated murder, eight of those are kidnapping, and four of those are felonious assault. Prosecutors have essentially explained to us that they're trying to charge him with as many things as possible to make sure that he is convicted in this case. Now, Chad Dorman has pleaded not guilty, but our legal analysts have told us that's expected. That's pretty much standard in Ohio that everyone pleads not guilty initially. We're not expecting to see any sort of a plea deal because the Claremont County prosecutor has very bluntly stated that he wants to see this case go to the death penalty, and he wants to not only convict Chad Dorman of these crimes, but he wants to send him to the chair. He wants to see Chad Dorman held accountable. And we know detectives have said that Dorman did confess to them. So we'll see how this unfolds. But given this presumed confession and the prosecutors being really adamant about the death penalty, we're not expecting to see any deal in this case. We're going to take a quick break. More from our guest after this. Fox News Radio On Demand on the Fox News app. Download the app and just click listen. When you swipe left, you can listen to your favorite Fox News talk shows live. Swipe right for the latest Fox News Radio newscasts on demand. Fox News Radio on the Fox News app. Download it today. I mean, it's hard, too, as as any American, let alone a member of the community. Um, yeah, you don't want any of your tax dollars to go toward anything that labors out what is obvious. And rightly so, capital punishment seems to be the only option here. Can you explain, you know, tell us about how this just, again, this ruthless tragedy, how has it impacted the Claremont County community? And what can you tell us about the family? How is the community remembering those three boys, Clayton, Hunter, and Chase? 
The community support has been incredible. And we have seen people from truly all over the country and all over the world support Claremont County. You know, there's a GoFundMe page that was started by an aunt of the boys. And at last check, that had more than $270,000. We know there's a new Richmond Youth Baseball Association that two of the boys played with and played for, and they have had vigils where they've not only honored these little boys, but thanked the first responders who had to work this scene and have also, of course, been deeply, deeply impacted by what they saw that day. And people from all over just feel compelled to try to help to do what they can, even just sharing the boys' picture, Emily, something that we're seeing is just sharing their photos. Don't forget these boys, remember them, say their names. It's been really inspiring to see. Obviously, it's a devastating reason, but it's always a, a little bit comforting when you see so many people coming together. As far as the family goes, they have remained pretty private. We have spoken briefly to the aunt. We have not spoken to the mother. We've been told that she's hanging in there and is just trying to maintain some of that privacy right now, which is obviously understandable given what she's been through. I cannot begin to imagine the pain that she's feeling right now. But obviously we're hoping that the family is doing okay as well as they can be given the circumstances. Absolutely. And to your point with that community support that continues to center the kids and the family in this, not the monster. Shocking body cam footage of Dorman's arrest has been circulating. What was the scene like when authorities caught him? So the body camera footage definitely shows the aftermath of this. You can see in the footage there are areas of the yard that are blacked out by black boxes. Deputies have said that is where the boys were laying. And essentially, you see the deputies arrive there. They have their guns out. They are preparing to go up and arrest Chad Dorman, who they have been told at this point is the shooter. They walk up to Chad Dorman, and he is sitting on the porch. It's almost like nothing has happened. He, it's just another day. He's sitting outside of his house. They walk up to him. He makes a comment along the lines of, I'm not going to hurt anybody, which is astonishing to hear now, knowing the accusations that he's facing. Deputies are able to get him on the ground. They're able to put him in handcuffs. Dorman continues to talk to them and say he hasn't been drinking. He references a, his dog that's barking in the area as well. We don't hear him at all in this body camera footage mention anything about his sons, at least not the clips that we have been given. They eventually do go ahead and put him into the cruiser. One of the deputies reminds him it is his right to remain silent. And then we see the first responders doing what they can to attempt to save these little boys' lives. Obviously, we know they, they tried their best, but they were not able to save any of them. And so it is a little unsettling, I think, for a lot of our viewers and anyone who's seen the body camera footage to see this man who has been accused of just executing his three sons sitting there absolutely unfazed, really no emotion at all, as in he's not crying. He doesn't seem angry. He seems like it's just another day in the neighborhood. Which is partly what, to your point, is so shocking. There's such a disconnect there, obviously, with with his behavior and with what had just transpired. And, you know, he ignored the deputy's commands, is my understanding. So it's, it's also sort of interesting to note that while he was arrested technically without incident, he did ignore their commands. And to me, you know, obviously, the heroes of law enforcement who have to gauge in a fraction of an instant, whether someone who appears calm 
and yet has just been allegedly and presumably responsible for a scene of carnage all around might again snap or erupt. So obviously, thankfully, there wasn't more violence um, despite the just, again, unfathomable violence that occurred earlier. Jessica, do you have any final thoughts or any final messages you'd like to share with our listeners on this case? I would just say, you know, to anybody listening to remember these three little boys. And I know so many people already are. And I know it's sometimes easy to get lost in the details of the case and to feel the anger just hearing these accusations. But I think just seeing the way our community has surrounded the family and all of the loved ones of Clayton Chase and Hunter has really been something special. And I hope that we can continue that and just continue to surround this family because it is such an unfathomable and unthinkable tragedy. And these boys were so young. They really didn't get a chance to live much of their lives. And that is such a heartbreaking aspect of this case. Mm. Well, as the developments occur with the legal proceedings, of course, Jessica, we will continue checking in with you. Jessica Schmidt, Fox 19 Now anchor, host of Cincinnati's Crime Vault podcast. Thank you. And we'll be talking to you soon. Thank you, Emily. To hear more stories like this, you can listen to our past episodes on the Fox True Crime podcast. Go to foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts to listen and subscribe. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts, and Amazon Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. The Fox News Rundown, a contrast of perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. Your daily dose of news twice a day. Featuring insight from top newsmakers, reporters, and Fox News contributors. Listen and subscribe now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.